Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Our mission is to strip away the myths and hype that often surround the aesthetics industry. Inside Aesthetics aims to get to the bottom of the important topics that concern medical and allied health professionals, as well as the consumers themselves. We'll be showcasing the thoughts and experiences of experts in their respective fields. Each podcast will focus on a specialty, including surgery, non-surgical procedures, nutrition, well-being, and business knowledge from the personalities that have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general educational information about cosmetic procedures and well-being. It does not promote or endorse any cosmetic procedure, brand, or product. You should seek professional medical assessment before considering any treatment. Dr. Alex Poon is a specialist plastic, reconstructive and cosmetic surgeon and is the co-founder of Sydney's Park Clinic. Dr. Poon offers a wide range of procedures ranging from the face, breast and full body contouring treatments. In this episode, Dr. Poon will take us through the so-called mummy makeover procedure. We'll particularly be focusing on the psychology surrounding the procedure and the preparation that women can do to optimise their bodies before, during and after surgery. Good morning, Dr. Poon. How are you? Oh, very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Thank, thanks for coming in. Appreciate you taking the time out. I know you're, you're a busy man. Even this morning, you had some little errand you had to run, go and see a patient in hospital. That's yeah, the story of my life. I think it was facelifts this morning, but I think today we're going to be discussing a different topic. Correct. Yeah. The mummy makeover and other stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so tell us, Dr. Poon, where, you obviously work with Dr. Maradi at the Park Clinic, is that yes, correct? Yes, correct, yeah. How, how did you guys meet and, and tell us a bit about your own specialty and your practice? Yeah, so so we uh, we are both the, the directors of Park Clinic Plastic Surgery. Uh, we've we've known each other for many, many years as, as both good friends and good colleagues. We actually met each other when we were um, uh, going through surgical training together. So yeah. those sorts of relationships, they uh, do stand the test of time. Yeah, and yeah, we've developed a a lovely practice together. We're just about to move to a new building too, so it's, right. everything's going. Can you really tell us well. an inside scoop of what's happening or where you're oh, going? Oh, I don't know whether whether I can. I'm at license to <laughs> tell. Oh, you tell you, I have, have to, to kill you. Yeah, I have, no, no. I, we've we've bought a huge heritage listed chapel. Um, Chapel that, that wow. used to be the St Margaret's Hospital site, and so it's this huge three-story open area that we're sort of putting this beautiful um, uh, clinic on the inside of it. So we're all really excited about Amazing. it. Amazing. Do we have a time scale for end of the year? So we'll have to get when we have the big opening. Do we'll let you guys know. Definitely we'll send a uh, invite through. Um, it was interesting before we um, went live. We were talking about um, the grueling nature of going through um, surgical training, and I think. Uh, as you said, having someone like a Dr. Moradi or those lifelong relationships or those, um, yeah, I guess having someone that you can relate to or to help you get through those those tough periods. Because, yeah, I was just having you and Jake having a bit of a chat about it offline. Sounds like um, I don't think people realize how how grueling and difficult the it's, process is. It's a is. real trial by fire. Yeah. So, so when people talk about surgical training, we, we once you're at the other end of it, you're quite flippant about it, mm, yeah. right? But while you're going uh, yeah. through it, like you've got friends that are like, hey, I didn't see you for 10 years, whatever. <laughs> so so just for us alone, it ended up being almost close to 17 years from yeah. school to being able to pop up a shingle and say, I'm a plastic surgeon. Yeah, right. And that means uh, intensive um, hurdles to get over to get on the program really you know long 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 days of on call and you know thousands of cases in the public hospital then going overseas I went over to New York for close to a year and then over to Cambridge for a, for a year after that and then you finally come home 
and then you've got to set up a practice. Yeah. So, so and it's that's challenging, right? I mean, you go through all this surgical training, but in terms of how to set up a practice and all the commercial realities of at the end of the day, it is, it's a business. It is. Um, not, it wouldn't be easy, I wouldn't imagine, I guess, having the, those colleagues and... It, that is, it's good. It's good to have uh, good colleagues that you work with and have done for many, many years, for yeah. sure. And th- that side of business side of things, I mean, you, da- you need to be aware of it for sure. Yeah. But ultimately our job is is very patient focused. And yeah. we've got specific people in our clinic that sort of focus the, on the financials, yeah. the, the accounting and the quoting. And it, it allows people like myself to really focus on what I do best, yeah. which is to look after patients, give Absolutely. them beautiful results, you know, Dr. Hunt was saying you surround yourself with people who are good at their own thing and you just get on with your job. You can't you can't wear all the hats. Sometimes you need to um, pop them pop them on from time to time, but but really our job is to look after the patients well. Yeah. Now I guess today's topic, um, as we alluded to, uh, mummy makeovers, um, encompasses some of the other procedures that we, we've covered before here on the on the podcast. But I think that what Jake and I really wanted to do was delve into I guess, um, you know, women that have been through pregnancy and, and mm-hmm. gone through these changes, I guess, physically and mentally um, mm-hmm. during this pregnancy process. And then how, after they've gone through that, I guess, maybe do something for themselves or mm. reverse some of the, the things that have happened during that pregnancy process. So I'm really looking forward to, I guess, delving into that topic with you with you today. Definitely. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, almost the beginning of that almost has to be the term you know, because there are a lot of, it's a very polarizing term. It is. For, it's for, been for bandied people. around for a long time, hasn't it? Yeah. Bandied around, very much an American term. Yeah, right. That, that has sort of come over just by osmosis over to Australia, the term mummy makeover. Um, I've tried for years to try not to use it as a term because okay. I, I do think it, it's um, it sort of implies that, you know, you're broken after kids and, you know, there's something really wrong. But let's, I mean, let's face it. I mean, you, you go through the process of, of pregnancy and kids and, and it, there's a trade-off, you know, for these beautiful children that you end up having mm. um, as the body ages and you go through these these changes in the body, which you have to go through. My wife um, is heavily pregnant and due next week, so she will luck. attest to that. Good luck. Your first? <laughs> uh, second. Second. All yeah. right. So you, you know, you knew what you're in for. Yeah. She's very keenly <laughs> listening to uh, this podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, yeah. So, so it's, uh, I'm not in the business of, fa- of shaming people for how their bodies change. I think it's a beautiful thing yeah. that, that women's bodies change to enable this process. But, you know, when we talk about this, this whole mummy makeover thing, it, the, the two things you usually together are um, afterwards, after you've finished having kids, is it, you know, possibly a tummy or a, or a breast procedure at the same time? Mm. I guess we'll go into that today. Yeah, definitely. Um, so maybe we'll start by just going through um, what would you like to refer the term as? So you said you don't like the term mummy makeover. I think we How, what, just have to because I look, okay, all right. it's a mouthful, right? Yeah, right. So right like okay. whatever you, you sort of, um, I've tried unsuccessfully to try and change it. To yeah, right. This, but, you know, it's, to talk about a tummy breast procedure after having kids, it yep. is a mouthful. So, yep. um, so I guess we will still talk about it as okay. a mummy makeover. But just, I'm glad to to be able to tell you my thoughts on it. Okay. So you alluded to it as mainly breast and a tummy tuck, but yes. are there other things that are sort of tacked onto that as well, or uh, is that yes. the main? Yes, I mean, um, breast tummy procedures. That's a really big group. Yeah. And, and where the whole mummy makeover thing sort of overlaps is is often with uh, massive weight loss patients because yeah. um, going through pregnancies is almost like going through a massive weight loss process as well. So so on one end of the spectrum, you've got people who have may, maybe lost, you know, 20, 30, 
40 kilo. I had somebody that lost 120 kilograms recently that I operated upon. And then, and then I guess the other end of the spectrum is, is these sort of mummy makeover procedures where it's not really so much as a, uh, a, a massive weight loss situation it's it's dealing with the sequelae of 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 loose loose muscles you know yeah. um tummy muscles that have really sort of been blown out the um the the effect on the breast uh, that is both deflation as well as descent of of the nipple as well mm. and um and I encourage women to, you know, once they've sort of gone through that process and the kids are older enough and they're nice and healthy, um, if, if you know, if they're happy, then that's all power to them. I yeah. couldn't be happier. But like if they sort of think, well, what, what do I do now? That The situation at that point, if if, if women are having that the sort of discussion with, the, you know, to themselves and maybe with their partners is all the crunches in the world aren't going to, revert things back but if they're healthy and they want to have those changes seeing a plastic surgeon can definitely be helpful to help them achieve those goals um so we touched on a couple of things there in terms of um areas of the body that may need attention after um, going through the pregnancy process but maybe just um be prudent to run through what are the actual changes that the female body goes through i guess from pregnancy through to giving birth and then i guess Mm -hmm. the period initially following giving birth what actually happens i mean i guess women that have been through it know it but for women that don't know and i guess for us guys that are pretty ignorant oh, to the fact, yeah. um be good for <laughs> i guess to just run through what is actually what are the physiological changes that are happening that's that's a great question and it's it's huge we could just talk about that <laughs> all, all, all right now for hours if we wanted to but I, i'll try and sort of summarize it so if we look at it at its base level you're, you're growing another organism within the, the uterus in the womb right, right? so as in order to do that, the body is trying to adapt to both for, for childbirth, but also to provide sustenance through the through the placenta, so that the baby can be become bigger. So, uh, from a, from a woman's perspective, you know, we know that the um, the caloric requirements are going to be slightly higher, probably not not as much as, as, as what some people will, will end up eating, but, but there will be ups and downs, which are completely normal. Mm. Okay. Uh, breast change, the, uh, the, the joints get a little bit lax, the blood volume expands to try and, uh, take the extra to, to almost preemptively get ready for childbirth. Um, uh, uh, psychologically, there are changes. So really everything from the psychology to the physiology, it, it's a whole, a whole body sort of transformative process to, to lead up to that one. So I guess to, in order to, to grow the baby, but also to lead up to that one critical point mm. uh, of childbirth, which is, you know, it's a very traumatic thing to go through. And I don't mean that traumatic as in it's like a bad experience, but it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big hurdle that the body needs to get ready for and then sort of go through. But, but, you know, I, I guess from a tummy perspective, so we'll talk about specifically the tummy and breast here. Um, the abdomen um, as as the baby gets bigger, the first thing that starts to happen after a couple of months is that the the tummy muscles, the rectus abdominis muscles, or six pack muscles, mm. they have to start separating. And, and I don't mean cut or anything, but just in the midline, they start sort of um, easing apart as this as the baby is growing bigger on the insides, mm. um, and and the muscles have to do that, otherwise the abdomen can't stretch out to full term. So that is, that has to happen, right? Um, and that's one of the things that we address 
or, or the symptoms that, that the issues that sometimes women have after pregnancies is that that integrity of their core muscles where their rectus abdominis used to be stuck together, it's it's no longer quite so so tight, and so the the core or the ring that forms their midsection is is quite so, not quite so pulled together. Mm. Um, from a breast perspective. Um, of course, the breast is getting ready for breastfeeding. So that the breast will, will enlarge, the nipples change, the areolas change, um, all in, in preparation for breastfeeding. Now, how much that changes really depends upon your own genetics and your own breasts. And paradoxically, sometimes it, the bigger the bigger breasted the, the patient may be leading up to pregnancy, may not sort of have a direct correlation with how well they're going to breastfeed. And even some of the larger breasted patients really struggle with breastfeeding, even though you would think that they would be, you know, world champion breastfeeders. It can really, really be difficult. Yeah. Uh, sometimes very modest women can have huge changes, you know, changes from, from A or B cups up to, you know, double D or E cups. And so there's a lot of things that happen to the breast. You almost have a, almost by definition, the vast majority of people can expect to definitely have different breasts mm. um, after childbirth and pregnancy than they'd had before. A so, very few number and they have the same sort of breast. Why doesn't that process reverse after, you know, postpartum and babies are well out and stop breastfeeding? There's often women are still left with quite, you know, obviously saggy, that, that's understandable because of the weight, but yeah. also the breast often doesn't return to the normal size, does it? No, no it doesn't because there's a, there's a bit of deflation that occurs as well. Mm. So so with the, the breast engorges, uh, with and the the glands um, hypertrophy in order so that they can pr produce milk, breast yeah. milk. But the breast, if we think about what the, what the breast is composed of, it's partially composed of gl breast glands and and it's also composed of fat. So yeah. they're, they're the main two constituents within a breast. When you're breastfeeding, it's the glands that are that are getting bigger. But everyone's breasts are different. So when we do breast reductions on <laughs> patients, um, some of them um, have very dense breasts. So the dense breasts are the ones that have the glands in them, and some of them might just have very fatty breasts as well. So or, and every combination in between. Mm, yeah. um, so the the bigger, the more glandular elements, the more susceptible they are to the the hormonal increases, and so they can get really big and heavy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's really it's 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 mostly related to your genetics and and your individual breast makeup. Yeah, I've met women who, when they're pregnant or even pre-pregnant, they they sort of try and anticipate you know that core mm. issues, and they you know they do Pilates and yoga mm. and all this sort of abdominal work. Do is there any evidence that that is helpful or even detrimental to, to allow that expansion? I, I think anything that, that um, helps a woman lead up in, into uh, both during the pregnancy um, and, you know, after the pregnancy that sort of helps them to be physically well. Mm. Whether that be a physical thing such as Pilates or, or whatever, or even just like um, uh, psychological meditation, all that sort of thing, I think that's always helpful. Yeah. Right? So... Um, in terms of um, is there an exercise that you can do during pregnancy to minimize that that muscular disturbance, I don't, I don't think there's anything that, that I'm aware of that, that, that says that if you do this, you're not going to have any problems with muscular dysfunction afterwards. Mm. Um, because really it, it depends on how big the baby is. You know, there are some smaller babies, there are huge babies, some women have twins. Yeah. So it ultimately becomes almost a mechanical thing. So the bigger the stretch yeah. means the wider the separation of the muscles. And um, and then afterwards, it just comes down to how lucky you are to sort of um, afterwards to restore your your muscle integrity or the, the rectus abdominis muscles sort of coming back towards the middle. Yeah. 
you know, I guess the, the natural one is also, is always, you know, do, do all women's muscles come together or not? Mm. And, and, you know, do what, does exercise help? Because it, anyway, it, yeah, there's, there's, there's a tip of the iceberg situation. Everyone always thinks that it always comes together. Yeah. It probably never really fully comes together. Sure. There are some people who are sort of on the spectrum where they have a, a lot of dysfunction and not. So are these women prone to hernias in the midline? They are, they are. But but hernias, so I, uh, before answering that question about hernias, what is a hernia? So a hernia is when you've got a connection between the inside and the outside. Yeah. You can almost think of it like a, a balloon you know, so so you've got all your your insides, your gizzards on the inside, your organs, your fat, whatever. Gizzards, that's a great word. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, the um, so you've got the all your insides and the fat there, and sometimes if there's a lot of pressure, or there's a weakness in the abdominal wall, then um, then things sort of blow out and sort of stretch out into into the through the through the hernial orifice or the or the hole there. Yeah. So I don't mean like you know, come out through the skin or anything, but there's a bit of bulge. Well, well, there's an intrinsic weakness there. So, so once you've had the kids and everything's stretched, stretched apart a little bit, um, you've got a weakness there. So if you've actually got a little bit of pressure from the inside, um, well, that'll be one of my patients ringing again I, this I morning. <laughs> I, I can't believe I didn't switch that off. So That's okay. fine. Radio, radio. Schoolboy uh, error. <laughs> <laughs> um, it adds yeah. to the authenticity of uh, mm. podcast. It's fine. Uh, that's correct. So what, where I was going back with that is that with the um, the hernia. So it can happen. So hernias can be really sudden things where bowel gets caught in it or fat, super painful emergency yeah. situations. Yeah. But most most women that have sort of hernial problems, it, it tends to be around the belly button, which is the weakest of the weak spots. Yeah. And you can have a... Uh, a little bit of a bulge there. So if if you're listening to the podcast and you're thinking, I've got a bit of a bulge there, there's, there's a little test you can do because a little cough test. And and if you can sort of use your, your index finger and sort of push that little bit of fat or lump back on the inside and then you have a bit of a cough, if you can sort of feel that sort of little lump coming back and hitting your finger, it means that you might have a little hernia. Yeah. Um, and it's usually fairly asymptomatic. It doesn't cause people problems. But if it does cause pain, uh, it might be a little bit of fat that's getting strangulated or getting yeah. caught. And, you know, going back to general surgery, we were mm. talking about before, the smaller the orifice, the potentially the more dangerous. Yeah. If it's a larger hole, unlikely for anything to be stuck in there. It gets it it comes and goes. In and out. It comes and goes, absolutely correct. Um, the um, I have seen a lot of women that's, that are symptomatic with those sorts of a pro- sorts of problems. Mm. They will see some of my general surgical colleagues and I guess they, they approach that sort of situation very differently to a plastic surgeon. Yeah. The the key thing there where they try to fix it up, they might sort of stick a whole lot of mesh on the inside laparoscopically or with keyhole surgery. They may put a big cut right over the belly button and then put mesh on the top of that. So um, as plastic surgeons, we don't approach that's sort of a problem the same way. Yes. We we view it as a way to repairing not just that little hole near the belly button, but uh, reconstituting the, the muscles all the way from the sternum all the way down to the pubic bone. Yeah. So tightening the, that, those core muscles uh, without using any mesh. And then the, uh, the, the, the great two for one is that we take all of that skin and fat from the lower tummy and, and then take that away at the same time. So we also fix those hernias, yeah. but we fix them in the context of a tummy tuck. Okay, that's really useful. So how do these famous Hollywood stars bounce back after four weeks of giving baby and it looks like nothing's happened? Well, well, I mean, that, that's... <laughs> filters. What's happening? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really good, yeah. like extreme filters. Um, I guess if everyone had a... Uh, Two Pilates instructors, uh, a yoga <laughs> instructor, a personal chef that made them, you know, 
caloric, caloric controlled and someone uh, wearing diet. palm leaf. And yeah, someone, foot yeah, massages. that's right, foot massages <laughs> a couple of times a day and also being blessed with good genetics. I mean, I think that really, really helps. Sure. I guess you see the good examples and you're not going to see the people who don't bounce back. No, you, you don't. Uh, well, you, who bounces back? I mean, there, there's a small proportion of people who sort of go through the whole pregnancy process and it, it's like they didn't get any stretch marks. Yeah. They're all fine. Some people don't even look pregnant or, or hugely no, pregnant. No, exactly. So, you know, some people uh, go through that process with very little uh, sequelae afterwards. Yeah. Uh, and then some people um, who you would have thought we're going to just sail through it, can get uh, quite extreme stretch marks, uh, muscular dysfunction, uh, all those sorts of things. Yeah. So um, when I, sort of going back to your question, David, before about, you know, who, how do you help people maybe at the beginning of the yeah. journey, right? And, and, you know, you're you're pregnant, great, everyone's happy, you know, you've got a healthy baby, um, you want to be a great mom, prepare your body, do all the sorts of things that you want to do and then hopefully bounce back afterwards. Um I think the focus is really just on, on becoming healthy. Um, I don't think, um, you, you know, people should be trying to maintain a, a level of exercise that they're comfortable with with doing. I think that the studies are fairly clear that, um, you know, you really, although you shouldn't, you shouldn't be like dieting at all on, on pregnancy. You just need to keep an eye on, on your intake and make sure it's proportional to, to um, the pregnancy process and not sort of really let, it, make it like a blank check for for your your diet just going spiraling out of control because if yeah. that happens then you know you're dealing with the problem at the other end and and it's it's a really tricky situation to sort of address yeah. when you've got a newborn the, your lack of sleep you know you you don't get to go to the yeah. gym you're not a Hollywood starlet that has um, you know everything revolving around you with two nannies and all the rest of it it actually becomes ten times harder at yeah. the other end so uh, focusing on a healthy uh, pregnancy as much as possible is very is key, I think, to, to sort of bouncing back on the other end. So that um, saying that um, it's become a bit of an old adage is like I'm eating for two. Is that mm. maybe not accurate? Is that something that's... Um, I, I think um, uh, I'm a big believer in, in people's bodies telling them yeah. what they need to do. Yeah. Um, but this, you know, there is probably a switch on the inside of your head that sort of switches on and says, you know, I, I need to eat. And th there's probably an element of truth to that, Yeah. but also it needs to be sensible. So yeah. I guess you need to put your higher brain sort of probably. lay that, lay that on, on your, yeah. on your primal impulses and yeah. say, well, actually, do I need to really hit the second tub, you know, of ice cream, or whatever, <laughs> like probably not. Yeah. And so you need to be as sensible during yeah. pregnancy as sort of afterwards as well. Yeah. Um, that there is, we were talking before we, we started the, uh, the podcast on, um, on the concept of pika. Yeah. So there's, a, there's a medical term that, that Jackie would really be sort of aware of. And it's, it's a medical term that describes um, really unusual cravings that women have during, during pregnancy. And, yeah. and these, you'd be amazed at some of the things that people just feel like they, they intuitively crave it might be chalk or they're going to eat dirt or like, kiwi fruit skins or like like and they just have to that one wow it just, it just has to they just it's, it's almost like their body saying you know i'm making something really important at the baby yeah and and i need this bit so you, this need ingredient, to, you need to yeah. get me some yeah i need to eat some chalk now yeah, right. <laughs> um, i mean there are extreme cases of that you, um you know you probably shouldn't be eating lots of dirt or chalk but but <laughs> but, but um the body is telling you you need you do need to listen to your body about you know weight going up and down yeah. and and if the body is telling you to increase your caloric and 
uh, requirements definitely do that. Yeah. And you can have slip ups and whatever, just like normal life as well. Mm. But it's more the direction that you're headed rather than sort of individual, you know, worrying about this meal or that meal. I wonder if that was an evolutionary thing, you know, back in the day when we needed as much calories as we can and then you're carrying a child. That would kind of make sense to me. But these days, eating for two, I, I'm pretty sure. You know, we're getting enough calories as it is. So, yeah, Especially it's in the Western know. world for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't think we, we, we suffer from caloric deficiencies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but it can, you know, it might sort of cause, um, as you go through your pregnancy, I mean, there are people clearly that have dietary yeah. uh, intolerances and allergies mm. and all the rest of it. But, um, <clears throat> you know, your body does need. Maybe maybe before you were very carbohydrate intolerant or, or didn't want to restrict carbohydrates a lot yeah. prior to pregnancies, but actually your body does need carbohydrate, needs fats, needs proteins. Mm. So really um, during pregnancy, I would probably steer people away from sort of fattish diets oh, and really really go completely you know balanced diet. And and it, and it may mean for some women that they change from you know uh, certainly a lot of friends and colleagues and patients that have sort of maybe go from a, a mostly a plant-based diet and then often they have these incredible cravings for fish or for meat and I guess that going back to again it's it's the body saying I need some more protein yeah. here. Yeah. Um just being listening to your body when it says that. Mm. Now um, we're in a, a day and age now where people are having children older mm. and we obviously thanks to medical science and things like IVF and, and whatnot. Um, does that make any difference to the recovery process or the what p- women are potentially going to be left with having children older? Or, is, I mean, is there an advantage or disadvantage or like what? Yes, um, your body is is made to have babies you know, around your twenties. I right. mean, that, that's, that's, that's kind of a, a fact, you know, that's the, that's the time if you, you know, ask midwives and obstetricians, whatever, um, how quickly does your body bounce back? And, and definitely when you're younger, you, you have more capacity to, uh, to bounce back mm. and to sort of recover and do all those sorts of things than when you're older. Um, but, it's it's really moot in a sense. I mean, you you have your babies when you have your babies, and and you're right. I mean, there is a tendency for for people to push back um, their childbearing years to a little bit later so that they can focus on their careers yeah. and, and and you know whatever they happen to be focusing on. Um, and so yeah, there's a there's a huge need for uh, things like IVF services um, to sort of help people uh, conceive and have babies as well. But you're, you're right, also at the other end, so it makes the the recovery after having kids uh, a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. The body can't bounce back as it as it would if you're in your twenties, uh, and uh, it means that I guess there are there are probably more people that have sort of the the long term effects of of having later pregnancies as well that that we end up seeing in our clinic as well. Mm. You touched on uh, stretch marks earlier. Obviously, yeah. that's a really common worry because it's so visible for mm. a lot of women. Is there any evidence of you know these creams and? things that you can put on whilst your abdomen's expanding throughout the pregnancy that actually work or is it just a bit of there are, good marketing? There, there must be, you know, a gazillion, you know, yeah. creams, lotions and potions that, that, that people have uh, spread on their bellies since the year dot, right? Yeah. 
I'll, I'll take a step back to answer that question. The, the, the first part of that question is what is the stretch mark? Correct. Right. And so as, as the skin stretches uh, and you can get stretch marks from, you know, rapid weight gain, not just pregnancies, maybe, you know, weightlifters get it as well when they have rapid hypertrophy of their muscle. Mm. And, and what's happening is the skin itself has two layers to it. It has the, the top layer, the epidermis, it's the deeper layer, which is the dermis. And, and, and what happens with stretch mark is the skin stretches so much, the deeper layer of the dermis uh, fractures. Mm. It actually tears internally, but the upper layer of skin, the epidermis stays intact. Yeah. So, so when you see a stretch mark, it's a, it's um, a tearing of the deep layer of the skin where the top layer of skin has been maintained. Yeah. Um, so, so with that information at hand, uh, the, the, uh, the question is how do you sort of minimize that? So uh, it feels like a big cop out that I keep on mentioning genetics and how lucky people are. <coughs> but the, um, the, it, keeping the, the abdomen um, or, or the tummy or wherever the breasts as moisturized as possible, vitamin and E cream uh, can be helpful as well. Mm. Massage can be helpful as well. But it, it, it is usually directly proportional to your, your genetics and how stretchy your skin is yeah. and, and also how, how rapid the pregnancy is. People can go through births where they hardly look pregnant at all and all of a sudden, boom, the baby comes out a lot. So yeah. Um, we have we control so many elements of our lives these days, and and this is just a perfect example where we have very little control over over what's going on. Yeah, fair enough. Mm. So there's nothing we can really do about stretch marks at this point, really. I mean, it seems that we not, don't not really. Not really. I mean, you, you, there's no sort of magic potion that you can stretch on, put on the belly that yeah. that makes it stretchier. So yeah. the creams will be more for preparing to hopefully moisturize, like you said. Yeah, not heal. Uh, not really. No, so there are no, no creams that suddenly magically make stretch marks go away. Yeah. What about for the color of them? Could you use laser or something after? Yeah, you can. You can use laser to try it. So, so where lasers help with stretch marks is the same uh, area where lasers help with scars. Mm. So lasers are tuned to a certain wavelength yeah. of, of light. So when you zap a laser into a scar, you sort of tune the laser so that it sort of picks up blood vessels. Yes. So so part of the stretch marks that people don't like is the is the color of them. Mm. So And the color represents having blood vessels and a lot of blood within those scars. So by zapping the uh, the laser at that wavelength of blood, yeah. you tend to zap some of the blood vessels and trying to arrest some of the uh, the, uh, the the stretchy elements. But but it it doesn't that in, that makes the it theoretically makes the scar uh, a little whiter mm. and flatter. But you but it doesn't sort of remove the, the presence of yes. it at all. Yeah. Um, usually time helps with that a lot. Um, silicons can sometimes help uh, in the form of ointments. Um, okay. But um, so that's, there's certain things that you can do that don't always involve surgery as well. Um, so we've obviously touched on um, breast and tummy. Um, there are, are there other physiological changes that happen within the body as well, like hormone changes um, that, <coughs> might, that might cause uh, like things like the, the, the integrity of the skin overall to change. I know that sometimes when women are pregnant, people will say, oh, you know, your skin looks amazing. Is that, yeah. like, is that like a hormone-related Yeah, um, it is. It is. There's, there's, um, the, the hormonal process during pregnancy really changes yeah. a lot and, and um, it has effects on everything from um, your, uh, your mental health. Yeah. Uh, so when women go through that 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 early sort of glow in yeah. uh, in the tri their the first to second trimester where they're really sort of glowing, it, it's 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 mostly hormone related. And 
people feel like a million dollars. I mean, not everyone sort of gets that, <laughs> but that's the that's the stereotype that they're sort of going through that glowy uh, period. Um, those hormones have effect on things, everything from your from your mental health uh, down to your skin. Yeah as well and all the you know the organs of your body as well so so uh some women can uh break out in pimples yeah. for yep. example that their, their skin can uh, get a little bit more on the oily side to uh, as they're going through pregnancy so yep. um i mean that's does it's not uni- universal with all women but but yeah you're right along with hormonal changes that we see in adolescence as well when the hormones yep. go crazy and you know it happens with skin as well same sort of things the hormones are really turned up to facilitate the pregnancy during pregnancy um, and then I guess things, and I know some some of these things you may not treat, but I guess we've got you here. We'll ask you anyway. Yeah, yeah, sure. um, in terms of say like um, cellulite, which I know yeah. can also um, change or yeah. become uh, sort of uh, manifest, um, and then things um, leg veins. Mm. seem to be something that um, sometimes affect yeah, women question. as well from that extra weight. I, I don't know. Maybe you can tell us. Absolutely. So, so what um, leg? So it'd be good probably for the for the listeners to sort of talk about a little bit like cell, uh, on cellulite, yeah, and also to talk about those leg veins, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, uh, Jake, you know, we we share a lot in common with with past surgical training as well, right? So the 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 backflow of blood from the legs, right, is is via the veins. So, so arteries pump the blood down to our extremities, and the veins sort of pump it all back, right? So um, when you've got a, a, a big baby on the inside, you've got this big heavy mass on the inside and it compresses everything and stretches everything at the same time. So um, so women, uh, it's quite common for them to s- describe a lot of swelling yeah. in their legs, around their ankles. Maybe they didn't have it before and it's really turned up, particularly in the later parts of pregnancy. Um, but it also impedes the backflow of, of, of the, the blood trying to get make its way from the legs back up into the right side of the side of the heart before it gets pumped around a bit. So it, it's like having a mini tourniquet on having the baby on the inside. So it's, so it's kind of the pressure on the inside causes the veins and the legs to stretch out. And, and then that causes, then has follow on effects that sort of work with some of the hormonal changes that cause some of the valves in the legs to sort of blow blow open and so they're a bit more incompetent. So the superficial veins of the legs or the varicose veins um, can blow out. Um, giving you sort of prominent veins on the legs. Right. Okay. And, and so, so that's directly proportional to the pregnancy and the mass of it impeding venous and lymphatic sort of backflow to the to the heart. Yeah. Um, and the only way to sort of fix that is to, um, is to you know, have, deliver the baby. You, you, <laughs> you know, you can't, everyone can't hang upside down like bats to try and improve <laughs> the, uh, the, the, their, their, their venous return. But yeah, um, yeah I think I, I'm going to put that, specific thing in the category of um, okay you're making a baby which is amazing and you've got to transition through this awkward period of yeah. putting on weight and having swollen legs and maybe you get varicose veins at the end of it but I think everyone big picture stuff you're making a baby it's amazing yeah. and that's 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 one of the things I'm going to put in the trade-off basket yeah. uh, with respect to the cellulite um uh, cellulite is uh, what happens when you've got like the fibrous connections from the deeper layer to the skin and, and they, kind of, they kind of keep kind of stable but then the fat that sort of sits around those connections sort of balloons out, right? So cellulite is actually not uh, necessarily, like it's not a pathological process. Uh, anyone who's got young kids realizes that if you look at them in the right light, even they've got cellulite as well. It's like it's not 
it's not something that is like it's a disease that we're trying to eradicate, right? But uh, when you go through weight change periods um, and and you you put on a little bit of fat, um, then then sometimes as as those ligaments of the skin are holding things down, but the fat's kind of stretching out. That's that's the appearance that you see with with cellulite after yeah. uh, after the weight goes on. I think we were talking to Dr. Ajaka about that. It, yeah. Again, it seems to be after the menopause as well, mm-hmm. hormonal changes. It just appears more in women seems to be around the you know the the buttocks and the, the legs yeah the 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 side of the legs otherwise known the, the saddlebag areas yeah uh people uh will also sort of put on a little bit of uh fat often in the lower abdomen as well that's sort of a relic of of the pregnancy so when we when we're doing the tummy tuck compo- component of a of a uh of an abdominoplasty in the context of a a mummy maker over or not, there's always a, a little bit of fat that we're taking away, not yeah. just tightening muscle. We also take away that skin between the belly button and the uh, that line really quite low in your underwear. Yeah. Seems to be one of the, whoever invents the solution for cellulite is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> like, we've, got to, we've got to get on that. Yeah. <laughs> Make a lot of people happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also I forgot to ask this right at the start. Where, where did the mummy makeover sort of culturally come from? Like it's not, it's obviously not new. No. It's not it's not something that was invented in the last five years. But why has it become so trendy now? Is it just more available? Uh, or that that's a that's a good question. And um, I'm gonna that's not one that I have a scripted answer for at all. But I'm gonna sort of draw upon I guess life experiences to sort of look at how 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 body conscious. Uh, we are in this day and age, particularly in cities like Sydney where yeah. we live in, where where everyone is is trying to stay as healthy as we can. You know, uh, thirty is the new twenty, maybe forty is the new thirty. Like everyone's trying to um, stay as healthy as they can. Yeah. And 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 maybe in our parents' age, um, you know, once they'd had three or four kids, there was like, it's fine. It's I'm done. Uh, I'm done. Whatever. <laughs> it's my time. Whatever. I'm happy with that. And, and, you know, and that's fine too. But I think we have an increasingly uh, um, body conscious society. Um, but body conscious doesn't necessarily. I mean, when we say body conscious, mm. it, it, everyone always thinks, "Oh, you know, it sounds vain. It's about your vein, yeah. or you know, you shouldn't be caring about this." But um, trying to stay your healthiest possible self. Mm. Is is not something that is is a bad thing. That's actually yeah. a good thing because you know you need to stay healthy so that you can look after your kids and, mm. and play with your kids and have a long productive uh, um, working and, and and home life. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and also you know leading into the future that you you know you have less illnesses and all those sorts of things. So actually, being a body conscious in a health conscious society, I think, is a good thing. Well, that's the common theme throughout all of our podcasts. If you look good, you feel good, vice versa. Yeah. They're yeah. all interconnected. So yeah, it's it's not something you should be sort of feel like you're vain going for these types of operations. It's it's for you. It's not for anyone else. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, well, I guess bouncing from that to back to the, you know, the, the makeover type procedures. So um, my t- typical patient for these sorts of uh, uh, situations is, you know, they're healthy young women or the healthy women um, that, uh, you know, go to the gym, look after their diet. You know, it's not a, they're not looking for a magic wand for themselves to, you know, lose weight and have a dead flat belly. These are women that maybe go to F45 or have a personal trainer and they just find that um, they've hit a wall and um, they have a kind of a binary decision to make. Either they just say, right, this is it, 
I'm wearing, these are my tiger stripes or whatever. I'm happy with this. Uh, and, and, um, and that's it. Or they just say, right, well, I'm, ha- I'm, I'm internally happy with who I am. I'm not doing this procedure for another person, but, um, you know, I've still got 40, 50 years left on the clock. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe I want to have this this adjusted and to give me a little bit more confidence. We we have a, a saying in our cl- clinic: confidence is beautiful. I think it's probably the saying in about ten thousand clinics, to yeah, be honest. Right. But it's but it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. It's it's like we're not trying to. It, it, when people sort of feel confident with yeah. wearing clothing, if it, it, do they are they after their their breast have maybe deflated after having yeah. a couple of kids, maybe they're, they're finding that. Um, you know, when they they go to the beach, or they find it harder to get swimming costumes, yeah. or that dress they really wanted to to buy just doesn't kind of fit on them yeah. uh, anymore. Um, people never come to you and say, "I'm desperate to, desperate to become an exotic dancer or whatever." Was that us, Brady? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Make a great exotic dancer, Dave. But uh, uh, it's it's um, they're, they're wanting balance, yeah. and, and, and that balance might be. We often talk about it in terms of your skeletal frame, you know, do the breasts match the shoulders, the waist of the hips and the tummy and the rest of it. But it's also, if you think about it, it's also balance internally with, yeah. with, with how they see themselves as, as a human being. But they may mentally sort of be as healthy as they ever were when they're in their 20s and sort of still identify themselves as that. So when we talk about balance mm. and some of these sorts of surgery, it's not just the physical adjustment to have them aligned. Yeah. It's also sort of adjusting that sort of that physical and, and mental thing so that they, they feel as, as young as they look and, and to give them that confidence again. You have come directly onto my next question, which is brilliant timing. So what is the psychological sort of um, makeup of women whose body really has mm. changed? Mm. And, and is there any aspect where you would delay surgery to sort of uh, assess and make sure that there's no postnatal depression or, or things oh, like good that question. prior to jumping in with an operation. Oh, absolutely. Because we've discussed BDD and and those issues surrounding that. Obviously, that's not BDD. That's just no, no. normal to be unhappy with your body that's changed. Oh, I mean, it, it is the um, postnatal depression is a big thing. Yeah. So if anyone's listening to the podcast that is sort of going through a tough time, just know that, you know, you're in... You're, Every single woman um, or or family that sort of goes through this process goes through a tough time yeah. uh, after after having kids and 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 that can be you know feeding the child screaming late nights all the it, it's it's a challenging time yeah and, and then there's the you know you can have hormonal changes that make it very difficult to sort of both bond with the child you know your home, hormones are running right and then your body's trying to get itself back healthy again, it's a really challenging time. So if anyone sort of even thinks a little bit that they might have um, postnatal depression, I encourage them to go see their GP or, or see someone about it because it's, it's, it's not, not something you need to suffer with yeah. in silence. Yeah. It's also nothing that an operation is going to help you with. Correct. So, so anyone that's sort of going through those tough times after surgery, we don't even consider any of those sorts of surgeries until um, until everything is um, stable. Um, everyone's they're nice and healthy with their body. Also, there's no point if you know that if you've had your first child, for example, and you know you've got maybe number two and number three coming, there's no point in having the surgery because your body's going to change all over again. So, yeah. so just accept that there uh, there's going to be some changes with the yeah. body. Wait wait until you've had your final child. 
and um, and then come and see myself or another plastic surgeon who can really sort of help mm. you with um, if you want to. Or, yeah. Or, but but yeah, definitely the the, the surgery is not what you should be aiming for first is trying to help that <clears throat> that balance between the child and the rest of the family and yourself mm. trying to get healthy again and then once you've done all of that and you, you know you're in a happy place then then it's something that you can at least find information on yeah have you ever been in the tricky situation where the the depression is related to the body change and and nothing else and and that's been defined by a psychiatrist and surgery was sort of flagged as the solution yeah, I, I don't think that surgery ever – we always try to not make surgery a solution to unhappiness. Yeah, okay. Because I think I think happiness is something that's sort of um, from within and, and then it's almost quite separate to – uh, the body side of things. Yeah. So, so you, if if you feel as if you need surgery to be happy, you probably need to sort of see someone yeah. just to say, "Is this the link that I need to be making internally in my brain?" Because yeah, okay. it's, it's usually not. There are some some women like uh, I have I operated on a few women who, after um, having um, after being pregnant, breastfeeding, their breasts have just gone completely mental and have become like double E cut breasts. They've got neck pain. And yeah, that's causing them a physical problem mm. that where they might need something done about it because sure. because it's just the heaviness of the breast. And those sorts of women are getting breast reductions instead, yeah. and that can definitely help them with their um, their quality of life. Because I mean, surgery surgery is a mechanical process. You know, we're just we're tightening things, or we're filling things, or we're reducing things. And and those that sort of approach to things, that we, it's not the same as trying to make somebody happy. Yeah, yeah you know, totally. It's interesting. Um, I thought of something while you were talking about the mm. history of the mummy makeover and why I guess it's so popular now is I think that women have a different role in society now, especially in, mm. in Western society where women are out there in the workforce doing the same things that men are doing and they're, they're not at home looking after the kids. That's not just their role anymore. They're out there in, in society and staying in jobs and having careers of their own. So maybe that's a factor as well why that people are wanting to... Absolutely. I mean, there, there are there are pressures yeah. um, with, with women trying to be in the workforce, um, uh, trying to, you know, there is... There's, there's not. I, I think if we're honest, there is definitely an age bias against yeah. women as they're getting older, and it's something I think as as, as men we need to be uh, cognizant of that. Yeah. You know, people, the the wives and mothers and, and women around us, or, and even just staff that we that we look after, they're interested uh, as they get older. There's no sort of age related bias yeah. because it, it, I mean I, I became aware of that sort of stuff when you hear about people in the media. Yeah, or actresses or whatever. As they start getting older, the the you know the, the parts start to dry up, or you know that maybe they get replaced, or all the rest of it. Um, it's pretty clear cut in the media, but really, I think a lot of that sort of subconsciously happens um, in in a lot of industries. And, and as men, I think we need to be aware of that to make sure the biases don't continue. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. So, shall we get into the? Surgical kind of aspects of what, yeah, sure. what, what are you doing? Yeah. So start with breast, if you like. Or? Yeah, sure. Okay. So so there are um, there are three or two or three sorts of ways that that breasts need to to go. So or patterns. So um, my overarching statement over that is that everyone gets their own operation that's very bespoke and specific to them. Yeah. Their lifestyle, their their activities, and what they actually want to achieve. Right. So. 
some uh, women need a, a breast reduction, mm. right? So, so we did, we touched on that a couple of minutes ago. The breasts have become so big that um, and heavy after after having kids that that they the nipple position is is too low. Yeah, just really heavy as well, and and they're getting a lot of back and neck problems, rashes underneath the breast, heavy bras that are causing, um, you know, uh, a lot of. Um, tight compression marks on the top of the shoulders, very uncomfortable for, for those sorts of women. Yeah. So um, that the procedure for those sorts of women is usually a breast reduction. Yeah. Uh, the cutting edge of, of that sort of a procedure is actually fat grafting. And that's that's where doing things with the tummy can sometimes be helpful because mm. we always do a little bit of liposuction when we do a tummy ordinarily that fat ends up hitting the bin. But but these days what I'm finding is that we, we can use some of that fat and put it to good use. So in the upper part of the breast, what we call the upper pole, we can do some uh, very sort of pinpoint uh, fat grafting to give the, uh, the women some lovely shape in the upper part of their breast, almost as if they've had an implant in there, yeah. but it's all them. There's no implant. So that's that's the benefit of sometimes mix, mixing a tummy procedure yeah. and, the, and the breast, we get to do fat grafting. So, so that's the situation when the breast is a bit too big. Um, then there's the situation where uh, the easiest situation, I suppose, is the breast is deflated. It just needs a bit of a boost, yeah. right? And so that's a breast augmentation. So um, assuming that the nipple's in a good spot and it just needs a bit of volume, we'll often use a one of those state-of-the-art Motiva implants, which are fantastic. We could get a chance we can talk about those later on, but uh, they're fantastic. They they have a specific capacity where they where they when you hold them up vertically, even though technically they're round, they don't look too fake. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, and they're round, so it doesn't matter. They're never going to turn, and that risk of ALCLs uh, is meant to be zero in them. So so they they feel nice and soft and ripple less. So that can be a great solution to sort of just get a little bit of restore some of that volume and and then i guess on the on the other part of uh, that that three um different broad types of of breast procedures is when you need a lift Mm. uh with or without some volume so if you so a breast lift is when you're lifting the nipple up and uh the volume can either be you you can use fat if if we don't need too much Mm. or if you need you actually do you've had a lot of deflation you need a bit of a boost we need to use an implant and that (coughs) that procedure is called an augmentation mastopexy which is which is probably the 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 hardest of the three to perform sure and that may involve an implant as well as moving the nipple yeah every every single time so uh, an augmentation mastopexy is that yeah definitely every single time it's an implant and repositioning the the nipple to a higher higher position so so i think the most patients about 50 percent of them are going to be needing a a lift with an implant yeah yeah Mm. if you're listening to this we've also done a podcast with dr maradi so we go into this in a lot more detail so we'll yeah we we won't delve dive it that's fine perfect um, and obviously it goes without saying that um, you want to be well and truly done with breastfeeding before you start venturing. <laughs> down oh, that yes. Path. Yeah, I'm saying yeah. the obvious, but sometimes. I... Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's a really good point to come yeah. back to. Uh-huh. Um, uh, uh, the, the, I guess the other point to mention about that is that um, it, whatever breast procedure you're going to have, mm. um, it's not a magic wand that's going to keep your breast still in, in time for the next 30 years. Yeah. So the breast is still going to age. 
Um, And um, having an implant or a lift is is not going to change that. Uh, There are some key things that we want to try and do if you're going to have that procedure so that we try and future-proof you as much as possible. Try to avoid having really big implants. Mm. Uh, I come back to that fat grafting again where we can sometimes use that to sort of sculpt around the breast and we make that possible by doing the tummy procedure at the same time where we can Mm. harvest some of that fat, put it to good use. It's really helpful around the the cleavage areas in the lower part of the breast. So I think that's really where the state of the art is going to be for the next the foreseeable future really, mm. not just relying upon implants alone but using uh, implants and a little bit of fat for the icing on the cake as it were. Yeah. Uh, but but I guess as the breast does age, let's say you need an, another, you know, the, the nipple drops even further, if you need to have a lift at a later stage, then you, you kind of already got those scars anyway. So so you, it's no new scars, just uh, the same scars and just sort of repositioning of the nipple on yeah, the right. implant. Okay. Yeah. And do you... Um, routinely do these procedures together during yeah. the same so the, the tummy tuck and the and the breast lift or do you very common to be done at the same time right uh very common to be done at the same time because uh, it is very safe to do uh if you've got particularly uh well experienced teams that we we work with um at park clinic um tummy procedure and a breast procedure like the standard one usually takes around about four hours right uh, for us to do that um the the the, where things are evolving with respect to the tummy uh these days is not really just concentrating just on the front so uh we we probably historically the mummy makeover is just a, a tummy tuck standard tummy tuck um but if we think about the sorts of changes that happen to the body they happen in a 360 degree perspective so there are changes to the to the uh the lower back the buttock as well which can deflate as well so so um there are an increasing number of women who are having uh, circumferential procedures mm. where they are they are not just ha- they're having their muffin top sucked down um they're having their buttocks lifted uh sometimes filled it's, it's called a, a buttock graft lift uh, as opposed to a, a bbl which is just pumping tons of fat into the buttock yeah. uh, and, um, and and as well as the front side as well where we can sort of get some great definition of the of the belly, you know, mm. very petite belly buttons and, and the lowest scar we possibly can. Right. So, so keeping it simple, the standard tummy tuck, it's yeah. for women who, you know, their tummy sort of, uh, the skin has become quite crepey yep. and loose. Yep. They've got a bit of an overhang because uh-huh. of a stretched abdomen and, yep. and so you're just sort of removing a, a large ellipse and correct sewing back up. Yeah, correct. So, so it all comes down to taking away that ellipse. So, if you, if one of your priorities is the uh, is stretch marks, for example, the only stretch marks that we can take away are the ones below the belly button. Fortunately, yeah. that's where most people carry, you know, ninety percent of their stretch marks anyway. Yeah. So that big ellipse goes from the uh, the belly button all the way down to a line that's low, hidden in your underwear. Yeah. And if you're sort of listening to the podcast and at home thinking, well, how wide is, is the scar going to be? Well, just keep sort of pinching that lower abdominal fat and then as far around as you can pinch it is kind of how long the scar is going to be. Yeah. It usually ends up being sort of hip bone to hip bone um, unless it's a very unusual situation. Yeah. And it can continue around as, as long as it needs to be. Now, that that scar is always a trade-off, right? So you you have to want a flat tummy, uh, more than than you hate a scar. Yeah. If you don't like the scar, then there's no point. Really try to avoid people having liposuction after pregnancy. Mm. It is a is a uh, as as the only modality 
uh, if you have uh, a big, loose, floppy belly, you've had a couple of kids, and then you have liposuction alone, that is potentially a, a recipe for disaster because you, you don't have that muscle integrity there. So if somebody's sucking out your your abdominal fat, it's very easy to, we remember right back at the podcast, we talked about the weakness and the separation of the mm. abdominal muscles. Well, the, the worst thing you can have with liposuction is, is that cannula dipping into the abdominal cavity and perforating <laughs> an organ. So that's one of the big, big risks of, of having liposuction only as a way of sort of treating fat, particularly after having kids is that your risk of having that, you know, a, a iatrogenic or a, a procedure related problem is, um, is, is quite high and it could be, you know, people have died from it. So yeah, there was yeah, a big case right. in the UK a few years ago, a footballer's wife died eventually of the complications. So safety, safety is key. And, and, and every, every woman that's, you know, had kids, they, sort of touching a lot of psychology data yeah, today, good. but, yeah, but, but I think it's great. Really important because everyone sort of talks about it. But there's always a lot of maternal guilt when women come in and they're sort of thinking about having a procedure on their tummy, they've dedicated their life and, and you know, years and years to, you know, get their kids, are, uh, maybe they're five or six and they're, they're healthier as well. They often feel quite guilty about it coming in to, to discuss it in the first place. Mm. Um, um, because, you know, they're like, Oh, what if something happens? You know, yeah. am I being selfish? Um, and and so we do counsel them about that as well. And and if you if you're going to be having these procedures, of course, that you know everyone sees our social feeds and see these amazingly beautiful women with flat bellies and then breast restored and whatever. But you should expect that if you're going to be even thinking about this, it has to be hand in hand with safety. Mm. So there's no shortcuts to, to safety. Uh, it means that you do have to have a hospital stay. In the States, they, they try to do this sort of stuff in day surgical mm, clinics and they boot you, boot you to home. But, you know, you don't want to have a, a clot in your legs or, you know, a DVT, a pulmonary embolus. You could, you could die from those sorts of things. So there's no shortcut for uh, proceed, performing these procedures safely. And so that means a, you know, fully qualified surgeon, proper hospital good anaesthetist and good post-operative care. So for the, the classic combination of tummy and abdomen, that's a bare minimum two nights in hospital. Yeah. Can't get away with two. There, You know, one out of 10 might get it out, out of the way in one, but really you need to be prepared for about two nights in hospital. Can be more if it's if we're doing more as well, but that's kind of standard. Because you're actually opening the abdominal wall and, and then restitching, is it classified as major surgery? Yeah, it is. It is. It's it's a major abdominal procedure. So um, so when you wake up after surgery, you're tight, you're sore in the belly. There are a whole lot of tricks that we use to try and minimise that that uh, discomfort, such as we use a, a pain buster, which is is uh, drops a little bit of local anaesthetic where we've done the tightening of the tummy muscles. We do nerve blocks as well, so hopefully it's not too bad. But you're definitely going to feel tight afterwards. Yeah. So you wake up with a catheter in as well because we know for the first 24 hours that you, you're not really going to be feeling like getting to the loo to go to the bathroom. So so you'll have a catheter. So you, that first day is just sort of getting up and around. And so on that second day, that's when I can think about taking out the catheter. So there's a, a sequential order to your recovery yeah. that um, we know is very safe and that gives you know reproducible results. So you can both have you know a beautiful result but also a safe one as well. Mm -hmm. So what would be the the um, average recovery time in general, I guess we spoke about the first couple of days, but in terms of yeah. going back to... To work? Normal. Yeah, well, you know, exercising, work, I mean, take yeah, us through the okay, timeline. Okay, yeah. so um, 
So for we're talking about like a standard combination. So breast tummy and procedure, tummy. breast and tummy. Yeah, okay. um, the first thing to say about that is not usually two times the two times as bad. Okay, and that's another reason people who are time poor, um, their first concern is, oh, should I just split this up because it'll be easier in my body? Uh, anecdotally, it's the same kind of recovery either way. And if people are time poor, just getting both over and done with at the same time, I think, well, it is, is it's comp- very, very safe. So yeah. people shouldn't worry about that. Your length of time in hospital, as I was saying, is about two days. Sometimes it might be three. And if you're having a lot of procedures or the procedures are bigger, it might even be four days in hospital. Uh, when you, you'll wake up with some drains in, so the drain, I, I don't know if anyone's ever had drains before, but the drains are they're not a bad thing, but they're taking away all the healing fluid on the inside. Your body's making that until all the skin sticks down again. So, so that fluid comes away. And uh, when it's ready, we can pull that drain out. Sometimes I might go home with a drain, but you need to be prepared for at least two weeks off. So leading into surgery, you really need to try and help as much as possible with uh, arranging your uh, post-operative recovery so that you've got friends and family that can drop around food and help with the kids. Um, and arranging more help is better than less help. You may feel like you're, you feel like superwoman and ready to bounce back, but it, um I'll always give people a worst case scenario and, you know, most of the time they'll be fine that they that they feel great. Two weeks off work is sensible, but, and at about six, so in the four weeks after that, so that'll take you to six weeks is really your recovery. Um, when you can return to work really depends upon what you're doing. Yeah. So there are some jobs that are very high, high activity that require a lot of abdominal, uh, flexibility and and mobility. So if you work in the beauty industry, say you're a a hairdresser (laughs) or you, um, or there's a physical element to your job, you can expect there to be a longer recovery period. If you have a, a, probably the best one is an office based job. So, so that's usually okay for you to get back to work after two, after two weeks. You were thinking of exotic dancers again. (laughs) Yeah, probably four weeks for exotic dancers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, um, and then the, in terms of exercise, I'm happy for people to, it's really good for them to walk around stationary bike. if, If people really want to, get their heart rate up um, and then at six weeks you can really start to exercise again uh, yeah nice and the final result probably in terms of aesthetically usually around about eight weeks right but they're like like all surgical results there's a there's a plateauing period so you you get to the period where you're at about 95 percent of your final result yeah that's usually at around about two months mm. um, and it takes that last 5% might take six months, but you yeah. get a, getting a really good idea of where you're going to be long-term mm. at around about that two month period. Well, one thing that is different from the breast and the tummy is that the, um, that big ellipse of skin that we take away, there's some lymphatics there. So, when we when you've got a low cut low in your underwear there, all of the lymphatics of the fluid that used to get taken away by going downhill into the groin, they're temporarily interrupted. So um, you'll always find there'll be a little bit of swelling above the scar for a couple of months, and then that sort of gets back to normal after after that. But that's just because of the lymphatic interruption. Yeah, um, and I guess well, we'll t- we'll touch on costs in a minute. I know it's hard yeah. to talk about costs because everyone's different. Yeah. Um, but I would assume that having the two procedures done together would be a more cost-effective um, way to go about it because you're paying the anaesthetist once, hospital once. Yeah. You're already there. Absolutely. <laughs> it, so it, is that is that the case? Yeah, it is. Okay. It is. It's. Um, I would say a very small proportion of people uh, end up 
trying to split the procedures up because it ends up being a lot lot more expensive um, splitting them up compared to doing it at the same time. And as as we covered before, it's it's very, very safe. The recovery is the same. You know, you've got to organize everyone in your life around you and your kids yeah. and all the rest of it, it it's no small undertaking so it's better so to do it once than twice better to do it once than okay. twice usually yeah and um i guess we we've again we've we've discussed some of these procedures in isolation but i think that um would be irresponsible for us not to talk about potential complications oh absolutely um so maybe if you can just run through those obviously things like infection and there's obviously oh, yeah. oh, there's a risk with anesthetic anytime you do it but I mean, you could just run us through. Yeah, I, 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 gladly, gladly. So every every consultation, we've got to really um, customize those complications to specific patient. But just spe- speaking broadly, I guess there are general complications and specific ones. General ones are common to any old procedure, so that might be an anesthetic related ones, uh, allergy related problems. The big one that I mean, the only really bad one, or the really big one, I guess we want to be concerned about is uh, getting clots in the legs that goes to the lungs. So, so they're called deep venous thromboses or DVTs, and if if those clots in the legs then sort of migrate to the lungs, they're called pulmonary embolises and, and they they are actually life-threatening if you get those now thankfully um i've in my touch wood uh, there's no wood for me to touch i've never had a patient that's had it because we are so on it to make sure that a woman doesn't get it so we give you blood thinners little injections we give you special mechanical compression stockings that sort of constantly massaging your legs but perhaps most of all we get people up and around yeah. so so you really don't want to be doing the dying swan stay in hospital and then go home and lie in bed all the time because if you do that, you're going to get a clot. Sitting duck, yeah. So, so getting you up and around is key. Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, paradoxically, having the blood thinner actually increases your risk of bleeding, but we can, you know, oozing after an operation, we can manage, you know, yeah. very rarely you might need a blood transfusion or something, but it's, it's about, you know, I'd say, you know, two to 3% of people would need a blood transfusion. Um and then you've got your standard risks for things like, you know, infections, um, you know, skin loss, belly button problems. Scars. Uh, scars, yeah. No, we probably wouldn't even call a scar a complication because that's, that's just, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's just part of it. Um, but, but there are a lot of things we can do with scarring to make sure that you get the best possible scar, uh, such as lasers, silicons, all those sorts of things in the post-operative period. Um, I, I touched on it br- briefly about smoking. Smoking, this is one procedure that, that is a big time no go, uh, for smoking, uh, because your, every cigarette that you have stops the small blood vessels from from working for about four hours. So if you're a pack a day smoker and you just say, I'm just going to smoke, you know, three a day after surgery, it will be a colossal disaster. And uh, you see those people walking around the hospital with their drip. In oh the my God. It's so bad. Like, oh my God. Uh, I, like, I'm going to tell you right now uh, for the benefit of everyone, my mental health as well. I, I take on, yeah. if a patient has a problem, I really wear it. I'm not one of those people who shrugs it off. So yeah. as much, as bad as it will be for the patient, it will be as bad for me because I really feel it strongly. I hate yeah. it. Um, but it's 10 times worse for them because it's their body that's having problems. So if if, if people can, are not willing to sort of uh, stop smoking uh, in the lead up to surgery, then I think it's best not to even undertake it in the first place. Yeah, and it's not just the cigarettes as well, is it? Because it's the nicotine. That, yeah. So you've got like the patches and so... Um, patches or gum are just as bad. Same drug, yep. okay. different different way. So if you're having patches instead of the cigarettes, you're still having that nicotine that's yep. causing little blood vessels to, to constrict down. Yep. 
just in another way. So uh, it, I hate to say it, but everyone out there who's thinking about it, who's a smoker, it's cold yeah. turkey time. Yeah. But, uh, or but Champix, yeah. Yeah, Champix, exactly. But, you know, maybe if we think about this the other way around, maybe you just need a reason to quit. Yeah. So, so, so if, there's lifestyle a, if there's lifestyle changes, all those sorts of things, um, there's a proportion of women yeah. that come into the to see me that I do tell them, you're just going to have to lose weight, you've got to stop smoking. But then when they come back, they are perfect candidates for yeah. the procedure and they get a better result. They they sail through with a yeah. much lower complication rate. Um, and, and I've also helped them stop smoking. Yeah. So I actually yeah. feel like I get to wear my public health hat as well as my plastic yeah, surgical right. hat. It feels good. It was like the impetus for a, for a life change. Yeah. And a, yeah I mean, if you say to somebody, look, I've smoked for 15, 20 years, <clears throat> just stop. Well... Why? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But if, if it's like, well, uh, he's not going to operate on me unless I stop, that, that's, the, that's the carrot, really. One thing I was thinking from a, I guess, general surgery perspective, you, you sew the abdominal muscles yeah. back together. You don't use a mesh? Oh, or, yeah, good question. Um, the, we don't use a mesh. So we use a, uh, well, I personally use a belt and braces approach. So what we do is that we, um, we we sort of open up the tummy. So we're not actually looking at the abdominal organs at all. We're just sort of lifting up the skin and the fat. And what we look down, you probably see this on our on our feed, either Snapchat or, or on the website. You, we're looking at their tummy muscle in their tummy, yes. right? But we're never actually looking at the organs on the inside. Okay. And and those rectus abdominis muscles, they're encased in some fibrous tissue called the, the rectus sheath. Yeah. And we tighten that gristly layer together. And that's the thing that gives you the closure. So what we- That's would, got the strength. You that's can't the, just tie you, the muscles. Yeah, so I mean, everyone's prepared meat before, um, you know, it cuts very easily. So it doesn't hold a stitch. It's that, that's, that, uh, that fibrous layer on the outside of the muscles, that's, that's what holds it together. Yeah. Um, and we'll run a really heavy stitch above and below twice. And then yes. on top of that, we'll also put uh, interrupted or separate stitches there to sort of um, to reinforce it. So there's literally, there's no way that that thing's popping open again. Okay. Is there, do you have any sort of um, figures of, you know, the rare circumstances when that does pop open or is that like a I've never actually had one about, that or? that's that's uh happened because yeah. it's just it's one of the it's the whole it's the whole purpose of the operation sure. so um it's I don't definitive it's like when I get in there I'm fixing <laughs> that sucker and it's not going to pop <laughs> okay. open right? right so it's not something you talk about as oh it could happen well I mean you, you I mean you can always say that it that it potentially can happen, but um, by doing all those interrupted stitches as well as the continuous one, yeah. it, it really there's no room for it to sort of pop open again. Okay. Um, with respect to mesh, uh, there, there are extreme cases where people sort of say, oh, let's use a mesh onlay uh, where you put mesh on top. But I really try to avoid using mesh at all when at all possible because the mesh itself can get infected. Yeah. Nerves can get caught up in it. it. It sort of buckles when you sort of lean forward as well and can, um, it can, tends to cause a lot more problems than what it solves. Okay. Um, it, it's used particularly in situations where the internal contents are so voluminous and so big that they're, they're trying to push through the abdominal wall. But I would, I would say to you this, that perhaps the solution to that is to go away and lose more weight first. Mm. So, so if you, um, so everyone knows that particularly male pattern of, of, of obesity where it's sort of all intra-abdominal, yeah. right? Um, I can't give somebody a flat belly if they've got lots of 
fat guts, on the inside. Yeah, internal fat, right? Because I can just tighten up the outside, but if you're still really full there, um, you're not going to get a really good result. But there are physiological changes that happen there too. So if you try and it's after a tummy tuck, it's like having a corset. It's like sucking your belly in as tight as you can suck it in and then keeping it there. Mm-hmm. But when you push all of your insides in, particularly if you're carrying a lot of this abdominal weight, you push all of it in, you increase, you, you increase your risk of getting DVTs or clots in the legs, but you also decrease your lung volume. So, so the chest thoracic where your lungs sit and your tummy that's it's kind of a big continuum so if you push all the insides in your diaphragm has to live, lift up which means that you can get things like pneumonias and, and chest infections after surgery where you can't open yeah. your lungs up as much so yeah it's all linked all linked well i guess going back to what you said about lipo being a bad idea it seems like a really bad idea because not only is it dangerous, but it's you're still going to have floppy skin everywhere. Yeah, so so it's not you're going to deal with the actual it's, issues. It's, yeah, it's 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 un, it's similar to doing lipo after massive weight loss. Yeah. So the skin, you know, by the time patients have seen this, their skin has contracted as much as it's ever going to contract. So if you take even more volume out of there by removing the fat, we all know lipo is only taking fat away. Yes. Um, the skin's just not going to contract there. And I would put it to you, Jake, that that it's almost better to have a fuller belly without tons Correct. and tons of loose skin and dimples and irregularities than mm. it looks less weird than having a, a weird dimply skin with that looks all over the place. So um, I, I really try and reserve the the liposuction for stuff that we'll do at the peripheries or at the edges yeah, right. rather than being um, for, for a tummy that's already shrunken down, the skin's already shrunken down. Yeah. Um, one thing I forgot to ask, the, the umbilicus, the belly button. Yeah. Where, does does that do? get detached and then put back? Great. Like probably top five question. Yeah. What what happens to the belly button? You actually keep the same belly button. Okay. So, so when we start the operation, we uh, dissect out the belly button and it stays attached to your abdominal wall. Once we've taken out that big ellipse of skin below the belly button down to the low scar, we've then got to sort of head north and then lift up all that skin so we can drag it all the way down. Yeah. Okay. But of course, remember the belly button's still stuck on the inside. So once we pull it all the way down and we sew it closed, we know where the belly button is just sitting. Plumb a hole through. Plumb a hole through. Exactly. Okay. I mean, very delicately, of course, but we, we figure out where that belly button comes through. Um, I have a, a um, I think belly, belly buttons are very important. So I think I know a lot of my colleagues tend to do a big old circle that looks like a, a 50 cent piece there. I like my belly buttons to be petite little little holes that sort of disappear down into abdominal walls. So um, I, I like to think that anyone who's having this procedure should uh feel free to wear crop tops all day long and show off their <laughs> belly button and not, not have any stigmata or evidence of it looking like an operated belly mm. button. If, if people can see it looks like an operated belly button, I think that's a bad thing. Um, but uh, that's just a, a personal approach to belly buttons, I suppose, from me. Have you ever had anyone ask for an outie rather than an innie? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and can you do no, that? No, uh, you, you could. It depends on how, how slim the patient would be. <laughs> you know, okay. we, yeah, when we, when we do bring the tissue down, we, uh, we don't just take that lower abdominal skin. Often we'll do some sort of finesse yeah. liposuction work where we might sort of give the, uh, the illusion of, of, a, of a, like a groove. 
right. where the muscles might be. So we, it's almost like a little bit of a, a, a mini six pack kind of thing, yeah, right. even without doing the. So the where do I sign? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> do daddy makeovers? Yeah. <laughs> the next one, yeah, daddy yep. makeovers. Yeah, all right. We'll see when you're free. <laughs> you can do inside aesthetics in surgery. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, yeah well, let's do it. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I guess um, wrapping things up a little bit um, in terms of um, rough costs, and I yes. know you can't be specific, and then maybe just advice or yeah. um, uh, for women who are looking to undergo this procedure, I guess we've covered things like making sure you're in a good mental state, yep. um, stop smoking, but could you elaborate on what, what else people should yeah, do? Yeah, sure. So, so um, the key things are just to be the best, healthiest version of yourself. Yep. Right, so uh, as you as you touched on, you know, making sure you're, you're not smoking, you, your diet's good, you're healthy, you're in a in a phrase or a time of your life that you can take some time out to to maybe refocus things on yourself for a bit without the wheels falling off the wagon. Uh, making sure that mentally, you know, you're not trying to have this procedure to turn you into, you know, this is the solution to you being unhappy. Really, you need that happiness does need to come from within, um, and um, and you also need to be realistic after having kids. You know, come back to that topic of you know being understanding that trade off that the body does need to change. Mm-hmm. Now, if you if you tick all of those boxes and you, and you think to yourself, well. Um, but I'm still unhappy with this situation, either with the tummy muscles or the breast. And decide to come to a plastic surgeon about that. Then, um, then, I, then I guess the the key thing is just trying to customize uh, what you, it's my job to make sure that I achieve what the patient wants to achieve. And so, if we're just talking about the standard sort of mummy sort of makeover sort of thing, is tummy and breast. That procedure is usually at the front. Sometimes some liposuction around the love handles. Mm-hmm. Uh, either with the lift with an implant or just an implant alone. And of course, you know, there's a, a million combinations that people might be having. So if you're listening at home, it's it's really going to come down to what you want to achieve. Um, and in terms of um, how much it costs, I mean, that, it's hard to sort of Aries, do that. Right? I'm yeah. not being cagey, but sure, it's, I get it. it sort of depends upon all those sorts of things to, to what it's going to be. Uh, historically, tummy tucks, if you were in a health fund, all used to be covered. So if you were privately insured and you said you want tummy tuck, at least your hospital stay and things were, mm. were all going to be covered and that wasn't going to be an issue. Um, a few years ago, things uh, changed with uh, both from Medicare and the health funds. And that unless you fall in that category of massive weight loss, which means losing five BMI points and then keeping it off for six months um, and also have skin integrity problems such as rashes or tearing of the the skin, you're going to find it very hard to sort of uh, have your health insurance cover it. Mm. Um, So uh, where am I getting with this? Well, well, it means that there's a a decent proportion of women who um, are going to need to have to pay for it unfortunately, and it's not me being mean or anything. It's just that the, the health funds are, uh, they don't cover it quite so, so much. It's pure cosmetic. Yeah, it is. It is. And and, and I, uh, sadly, I don't think that is uh, how they should be approaching it, but um, the rules are the rules, mm. yeah. Do you have a, I mean, you don't have to quote your own prices, but a rough spread of the Sydney prices that you could quote yeah, so, top so, and bottom? So if you're having a top and bottom together, you know, usually a breast procedure is going to be, you know, um, above 10,000, yeah. somewhere depending upon, you know, what's going to be happening or whatever. This uh, includes the lift reduction yeah, situation. Yeah, okay. and an augmentation as well. Sure. And then the tummy procedure is about the same again. So so usually you're, you're looking at something in, in the right, yeah, 20 plus. Um 
And um, what I'll often do is because I do know it's a, a big thing for a woman to go through, all that fat grafting that we talked about before, I'm going to be liposucking anyway. So if I'm going to be using that fat to uh, fluff up or or uh, gild the lily or, or on the breast mm. uh, for the contour, um, I'll I'll do that free of charge just okay. because. Um, it's like a finishing touch. Yeah, it's a finishing touch, and I would have mm. used that. I would have thrown away that fat anyway. So it's yep. it's a that can be helpful as well. Okay, great. And how do people get in touch with uh, Doctor Poon if they want to talk about a potential procedure or we'll just have a chat? You have a chat. Have a chat. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, I mean. It, you know, you can you can call the rooms one three hundred six six nine four double eight. I'm always uh, available on. Um, you can always email me. Uh, Lana is my uh, my PA, and she uh, coordinates all of my She's consultations. She even called me this morning. Uh, she is fantastic. She yeah. uh, organised everything for me, and she um, she's very very approachable. So if anyone wants to uh, email her, just call through to the rooms and then get put through to her, and she can facilitate a consultation. Um, email address, social media. Email, yep. Uh, so Social media as well, uh, you can uh, direct messages uh, through Instagram or Facebook. Um, email address, if, if you want to grab a hold of me and send me your questions, you can do that at uh, Dr. Alex, so D R A L E X, and then that's at parkclinicsydney.com. That's all one word.com. And did also mention Snapchat. That's interesting. Yeah, we do. We do do Snapchat. We're probably doing a little bit less. Um, recently because there's some guidelines coming out yeah. that that um, the society wants to make things less live. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone wants to share their story online either. Either um, There's a high proportion of people who want to do that um, who are in the massive weight loss category mm-hmm. just because it can be quite inspirational. <laughs> yeah. um, it does polarize people though. Yeah. So um, there are in this world there are scab pickers and then people who never want to see a blood <laughs> uh, a corpuscle of blood. Right? Yeah. So if you're in the slightest bit squeamish, then seeing like don't go to your Snapchat. That's not that's not for you, right? <laughs> yeah. But but for those people who are just fascinated with the inner machinations and working of the human body, I think it can be very educational. Yeah. Doctor Murati and myself, we share the same Snapchat channel. Um, we try to be very professional with it, so we try to make sure that it's it's very educational. You can't see faces. There's no one's dancing around like an idiot or anything. It's just we try and make it very educational, so that people can find out what is involved with the procedure and, and, and you know. I personally think that's great. So how do that? How do they find the Snapchat? What's the? Uh, it's the the Snapchat handle is Park Clinic Docs D O C S. Okay, and it's the same for Instagram or use uh, for that bit, one. Well, Dr. Marani and myself, we we keep it really complicated for people. So <laughs> I've, got, I've got my own Instagram, and so does he. But we also have like a combined Park Clinic one right. as well. But if you search uh, my name on on um, on Instagram, Facebook, or Snapchat, it'll, it should come up. Perfect. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, and hopefully people have I got a lot. I know I learned a lot, but thank you. I hope everyone else out there got a lot out of as well. Thank you for your time. We know you're busy. Thank you. My pleasure. Cheers. For our latest news, upcoming episode information and mini video clips of our guests, you can follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. We've also just started a YouTube channel called Inside Aesthetics and we'll be uploading more content and longer videos in the future.